at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Friday, December 29th, 2023 edition. And that means 2023 is in the record books. New Year's, at least for trading-wise, right? We still have a couple more days on the calendar. New Year's Eve is coming up Sunday night. So get ready for 2024. And to celebrate the end of the final trading day of the year, I have Luke Guerrero back with me. Thanks for being here, Luke. Thanks for having me, Justin, to ring in the new year with all of our listeners. Yes, I know you have been under the weather for most of the week, but glad you're able to recover and now you're ready for, for New Year's. And our job here each and every weekday is to prepare the audience, not just for the new year, but for the years and, and the years and decades ahead. And we're going to do that by answering your finance and investment questions and giving you actionable material, actionable data that can help you make better decisions consistently with your money. Not one time. It's not about getting that next stock tip. It's about understanding the principles of good, sound investment management, money management, risk management, etc. So we're going to talk about the market performance today. We're going to run down the show topics. But as usual, we're going to hit our first caller question now. I'm thinking to add some international stocks to my portfolio, so I'm interested to buy this single ETF VT in my Roth IRA. So what do you think about this ETF VT? Thank you so much. All right, this is the Vanguard Total World Stock ETF, and that's the first thing you have to understand about that. This is the world ETF, meaning... Guess what? The United States is part of the world. And it, when you look at the amount of market cap that the United States equity markets have, it's far surpasses any other country. And in aggregate, it's about 38% of total market cap out there. And that's why this particular fund still has 38% of its holdings in, sorry, 50, sorry, in inverse, 60% of is U.S. stocks. And only 38% are non-U.S. stocks. So while you're getting some exposure to uh, foreign equities, it's really not that much. So in my mind, Luke, seems like if you want foreign exposure, go with a foreign actual ETF as opposed to just uh, not even the majority of this fund is, is foreign. Yeah, that's right. If you're if you're looking to get some some international exposure, be it emerging market exposure, developed market exposure, you're probably going to want to go with an ETF that's either developed XUS, meaning the developed world without the the US, or world XUS, which would include emerging markets and developed countries. But if you go for a global fund like this, you're going to find that it's still going to tilt towards the US, just because that's where a majority of of uh, 
the large companies in the world are. Exactly. And when I think of a foreign ETF, I think of EFA, EFA. That is the MSCI EAFE ETF. And that is Europe, Asia, and Far East. And these are basically the developed markets. So all the foreign markets minus emerging markets. So you get a lot of European exposure, et cetera. And so that's pretty much entirely foreign stocks. So I'm not saying you will buy that particular one. There's probably a better one, but that is to me a proxy. When I'm looking at charts and I'm trying to understand the performance of foreign developed market equities, I first turn to this one to see what type of performance this is having short-term, medium-term, long-term, et cetera. So that's a much better one to give you better exposure. So far this year, that is up about 18%, kind of on par with what the S&P is doing, right? So um, foreign stocks and domestic stocks have had a pretty similar year, which is pretty atypical. But we know from a valuation standpoint, there's certainly some nice values overseas. So that's the way I would be going about getting exposure to foreign stocks. Thanks for the call. Now, today we're going to cover a lot of, uh, I think, important topics. The first is in regards to a recession. We went, came into 2023, a lot of people were expecting a recession. And guess what? We did not get one. And going into 2024, now it's about 50-50 split between, oh, we're going to have a recession. We're not going to have a recession. A lot of people say, okay, we're having a recession, but it's going to be a soft landing versus a hard landing. What does that really mean? We'll talk a little bit more about that and expand on it. Also, what kind of offbeat markets did well this year? What were the best performers of your kind of your non-traditional uh, equity and bond indices? Okay. And then we're also going to touch on why stocks actually did so well this year. And then lastly, if we have time, how central banks are rethinking, forecasting inflation. Okay, so we're going to look at that as well. We also have some voice bank questions, and one is in regards to options. The other is CFA, Victory Shares, U.S. Volatility Weighted ETF. And since it's Fridays, we'll sh- Friday, we'll share some highlights of the newest KPP Premium Newsletter. Now, let's talk about the market performance today. Luke, as we closed out the year, it was a modest down day, really led by small caps, which uh, is kind of the opposite of what we've seen over the past couple of months where you've seen small caps really outperforming. So interesting close to the year. Yeah, no, that is correct. I think essentially whatever direction the market has gone, small caps have just multiplied what the large caps have been doing over the past couple months. And overall, I would consider this Friday and really even Thursday as well to have been a kind of uneventful day in this Santa Claus rally as markets just calm down a bit before the new year. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens when the markets open back up on Tuesday, things pick back up. You know, you could see some people that are at a gain or people that are at a break even start to start to sell off some names. Uh, but it's, either way, it's going to be interesting heading into the new year to see if this uh, bullish narrative can continue. And I think the interesting uh, moves today were really in the crypto markets. Uh, Marathon, Digital, Riot Platforms, those were both down over 10%. And I believe this has to do with, there was not any news on the Bitcoin ETF, correct? Yeah, I didn't see anything in particular. Uh, I know that Marathon Digital specifically had an incredible run-up 
you know, over the past month or so, really over the past year, up hundreds of percent. Uh, but, you know, Bitcoin's only down 1.3%, which by Bitcoin standards is pretty unvolatile. So yeah, I didn't exactly. see any crypto news specifically. Yeah, I, I just know I've been I've, I've, I've seen social media that people are expecting some sort of announcement potentially uh, uh, t- yesterday and today around a Bitcoin ETF and there just really wasn't. So that could be a reason for that. But obviously, uh, probably by the end of January, we'll get something, some some news there and that uh, will probably move that market. Uh, but that was the big mover on the day. The 10 year that was up about a one and a half basis points. So not moving much there, still below that 4% level. And we had, what do we see the dollar? The dollar closed up slightly on the year or on the day as well. So kind of a, like you said, uneventful close to the year. It was a positive year for pretty much all risk assets. And we go into the new year with uh, a lot of, a lot of expectations for uh, continued uh, Fed pivot um, and that kind of helping asset prices. And uh, we'll see how that evolves as we go through the first quarter. Now, there's only two days left to enter our holiday giveaway contest. And you could get a free autographed copy of Steve's book about average investing for the average investor. It is a no-nonsense guide to the world of buying and selling stocks. And there's just a few steps to enter. Very simple. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Instagram and like our holiday giveaway post and tag three friends. It's that simple. We have a few more to give away before the end of the year. Now, the phone lines are open waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. You get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. You know, I'm okay paying fair price for a very good business. Steve Peasley. It's a very well-run company. And now Luke Guerrero. EBITDA growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. I will. Hey, hi Steve. 24-7, rain or shine, Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. Invest Talk is always made better when our listeners contribute their questions. So tell your friends and family members they can interact in real time with Steve Peasley and Justin Klein during the Invest Talk live stream program between 4 and 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Or they can leave their questions anytime 24 7 in the Invest Talk voice bank. 888 99 Chart. Hey, Justin. Phil from Philadelphia. I have a question regarding options. Is there uh, any time where I'd want to buy in the money options as opposed to out of the money options or vice versa, out of money options as opposed to in the money options? Say I want to buy calls of uh, a security, 30-day expiration, I think it's going to go up, say, three points. Would I then buy out of the option calls at that amount that I think it's going to be? Or would I buy in the money calls at that time and then 
I guess, take whatever profits I get uh, if it does go up within that 30 days. Just curious about that. Love what you guys do. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Well, that depends on what type of payoff you're looking for. Out-of-the-money options have a higher potential return. You're paying small amount. You're, there's no intrinsic value in those options. So you're buying time value and hoping your thesis plays out. And either way, if you buy in the money or out of the money, you're, you're typically going to make money. But in the out of the money, meaning for everyone out there, let's just use an example of a stock that's trading at $20 per share. Maybe you think it's going to go to 23. Out of the money option would be saying, I'm going to buy a call option at a 22 strike. In the money would say, I'm going to buy a call option with an $18 strike. Meaning, okay, it it could go up $3. In the instance of the, uh, the out of the money strike, you're going to earn multiples of your purchase price for that option. Whereas in the money, it's safer because let's say the stock only goes to 21. Not doesn't go to 22. Maybe your thesis is in direction is correct, but it doesn't go all the way to 23. You can still make money on the in the money option, as opposed to the out of the money option will expire worthless. So that's why there's a difference in the convexity there. Um, and how much just simply how much risk you want to take, I think of the, the payout more in terms of time, I want to take I want to give I want to get more time for my thesis to play out. So I would rather buy more time and go a little bit out of the money. And know that over that period of time, if even my, my thesis takes three months to play out or four months, I have time for that to work out as opposed to, you know, you buy in the money very short term or even out of the money very short term, you know, who knows what the market's going to do over a 30 day period. Anything to add there, Luke? Yeah, I would just point out that if you're going to buy out-of-the-money options, there's a higher likelihood that they are going to expire worthless than if you buy in-the-money options. So like in your example, if it goes to 22, the 18 is still worth something. If it goes to 22, the 23 strike option is, is or sorry, if it goes to 21, the 22 strike option expires worthless. So it depends on why you're buying options. Are you hedging? Are you speculating? It also depends on what your level of acceptable risk is. Yeah. Uh, it, options are a dangerous game. People can, you can lose money very quickly, very easily. Remember, this is leverage and you need to be very disciplined and understand why that move might happen. Uh, you need to have technicals on your side. Um, a lot of times fundamentals don't play out very, very often in, in a short period of time, right? You're kind of at the whims of liquidity of the market, for example. So you, you need to lean on that part of your analysis as opposed to the fundamental analysis, which typically is better for the medium to long term. Well, we're going to a break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your questions on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. And if you're listening via our live stream on AM 1220 radio in Silicon Valley area, you can call right now at 888 chart Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. 
Now, our focus point is set up by this story. Recession outlook. Experts think a mild recession is still possible in 2024. And in a December survey, 76% of economists said they believe a chance of recession in the next 12 months is 50% or less. That seems, I mean, 50% or less, that's a wide gamut, right, Luke? I, I feel like that's kind of a scapegoat when you're answering that way. In a way, I, I mean, I, I just think it shifted in that specifically in 2023, everybody thought there was going to be a recession. So I think 50% yeah. is maybe the threshold they're mentioning because it's important to note that now there's fewer people who believe there will be than there are that believe there won't be. Well, it's pretty interesting that you go into this year, everyone was thinking there was going to be a recession. And now it's more kind of 50-50 or even less than 50% chance compared to uh, uh, if you're looking at most economists. And the actual economic data is certainly weaker. The jobs market's weaker going into 2024 than it was coming into this year. Uh, the, the growth of you know, uh, the, the uh, manufacturing sector continues to be, you know, shrinking slightly. The service sector is still growing, but very modestly. So I am seeing, it's really interesting. I mean, do the people have, do these economists have PTSD saying, oh, I got it wrong last year. I need to maybe hedge my bets going into next year. That's what it feels like to me. Maybe, you know, I was thinking about this the other day and something that I thought about was it may be more difficult to have negative real GDP growth with consumer spending the way it is because of the enlargement of wealth inequality in the wake of the 2008 recession. Yeah. I.e. when the job market is weaker because wealth is so concentrated at the top. I mean, you see it in, in you know, uh, spending reports with more and more spending going to services, less and less to goods, uh, people not really cutting back because maybe the people that have uh, you know, have all the wealth, don't need to cut back. So I, I think there is some credence to the idea that maybe consumer spending is a little stronger than we thought it was just because the people that are going to be hurting don't really account for much of that number anyway. And I think it's also cash on the sidelines. I talked yesterday on the show about how the peak in 2008 of in money market accounts, when yields were also, yields on money market accounts were, were pretty decent uh, back then, uh, the amount that is sitting right now is 50% higher. It goes from $4 trillion to $6 trillion today. And so, and that keeps climbing. Um, and that's a product, I think, of massive consumer, of government spending during, during COVID and, and helping consumer balance sheets. The jobs market being robust and unemployment being low. And then we've talked many times, just government spending that is part of the entitlements and part of the the uh the sp the spending on interest on our debt and so all of that like you said does make it kind of hard for us to have a major recession i think that's the difference here is really understanding that a recession going forward unless there's a major credit event like 08 like the covid crisis where the economy shuts down it's hard to see really asset prices declining much, maybe a choppy period, but that's really about it in my mind. Um, so I think there would have to be some other type of, maybe not as big as the pandemic, but something kind of out of left field that would pull consumers back in a dramatic way. I think post COVID, 
especially the older generation, they're more apt to go out there and spend. Not only are they flush with cash because now they're collecting Social Security, they're at, their asset prices are up, but they're the ones that are really, we've talked many times, supporting this economy. Um, and that's not really going anywhere. Um, so you're right. The, the differences in wealth are getting wider. And it's not just from the, well, the, the rich versus the poor. It's also the age gap, right? The old versus the young. Older uh, has a much higher uh, concentration of wealth than uh, typical. So, you know, the question is, if we do a recession, what do you do? Uh, the, the first thing is reduce your debt balances. We know interest rates are going up. So the cost of your debt is certainly going to go up. Maybe do a, a balance transfer. That can help. You can actually ask your credit card company for a lower rate interest rate if you do have credit card debt. So that's something to think about. Stress test your finances. Uh, how volatile is your income is a big question. You know, I, I always say the, the typical answer of how much emergency fund you should have is three to six months. But that depends on your job. If you work for the government or you have a job that's very, very steady, you know, three months is probably okay. If you have a job where maybe you're in sales and it can be up and down, you can have a bad year, six months is probably probably makes more sense uh, to have to boost that emergency savings. So um, that's kind of a think about a, re- a potential recession going into next year. I still think we will have a mild one, but that doesn't really precipitate, uh, I think, a, a major drawdown in equities. All right. Now, the next invest stock, we'll look into the story behind this headline. Recession outlook. Experts think. Oh, never mind. That was that was this. That was today. We, we will have a new one coming up, a new episode. Our next one will be on Tuesday. So be on the lookout for that. But for now, I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero. Take your calls at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You've got finance and investment questions, and Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready with their unbiased answers. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Carolina, looking at Freeport Macron, FCX. You owner, looking to buy it. Uh, hi, Justin. Good evening. I have this one in my portfolio for approximately 1% of my portfolio size. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, I have 15 to 16 percent of profit. Like to check your viewpoint, should we continue to hold, add more, or is it the time to take the profit? Uh, thank you for your suggestions. Sure. Well, this is Freeport MacMarin, and it's historically has been the largest copper producer out there. Now they do produce some gold and other minerals, but mainly they are a copper producer uh, here in North America as well as South America. However, the issue is that while they're the most well-known copper producer, they're not the best performer, especially when you're looking at profitability. Uh, it's fine. Like I said, it's still a good company, but you can do much better, I think, within the, the copper space. So what I don't like is that earnings are expected to fall from $3.13 in 2021 to $2.44 last year, now down to $1.55 this year, down 36%. They're supposed to have a little bounce back to 184, but you know this this business is kind of all over the place. And I would take your profits and find a better copper producer. There are better ones out there, and ones that are producing profits well in excess of where we were pre-pandemic, and have more consistency, and are now bigger. And we we do own a different copper producer, and I would be I can't tell you which one it is for compliance reasons, but that is what I would be doing, selling it and looking for a better copper producer out there. Thanks for the call. Now, the KPP Premium Newsletter was finished today, and it will be distributed to subscribers tomorrow morning. And we have a preview. And in the market conditions section, we explain that 2023 is essentially over, and it was unlike what anyone predicted. The S&P 500 approached its all-time high as we head into 2024. Still, it is not certain that this market rally will continue as the economic backdrop remains mixed. NASDAQ regained, gained a remarkable 43.7%, its highest since 2009. That's, being, that's after being down 33% last year. And the pivot in monetary policy coupled with substantial gains in major indices underscores a market ripe for recalibration in 2024 with a keen eye on inflation risk that could arise from a premature rate adjustment. These dynamics suggest a cautious optimism for the economic outlook tempered by the potential volatile, potential volatility arising Federal Reserve's policy. In stark contrast, the U.S. crude oil market concluded the year with a decline exceeding 10%, marking its first annual decrease since 2020. And it was attributed to oversupply fueled by record production levels outside of OPEC, mainly here in the United States. People don't know that. Our oil production is near record highs. Now, the bond market witnessed minimal changes in the Treasury yield today with a slight drop in the 10-year and the 2-year. The, the, the year 2023 has been a whipsaw for bond yields highlighted by a 10-year yield peaking at over 5%, a level not seen, seen since 2007. The global inflation landscape is shifting with inflation rates declining faster than anticipated and expecting to normalize by 20 24. Heading into 2024, the financial outlook is cautiously optimistic, marked by a resilient, a resilient stock market despite uncertainties surrounding Federal Reserve's policy shifts. There's a lot more of commentary details in the market newsletter. And stock ideas. We highlight a leading global provider of highly high-quality stock photos, videos, and music with a vast library of over 400 million images and a diverse collection of content contributors. Revenue is primarily generated through a subscription-based model. 
and we would like to see a continued movement through the 50-day moving average before adding it, but something to keep on the watch list. And we also highlight a global manufacturer and supplier of identification solutions and workplace safety products. Now, we name names in the newsletter. You can subscribe anytime at investtalk.com. Now, Luke, this was an interesting year for asset prices. I know you, uh, you, you touched on that in that market commentary that I just wrote, uh, wrote out. But there were some big movers in other assets. And the first one, Turkish dollar bonds. And what was interesting here was that uh, the president, President Erdogan, was reelected in May. And a lot of people would think that he was just going to keep policies that were that drove the lira down in the past. But in fact, he actually did the opposite. He hired a former strategist, bond strategist out of Merrill Lynch. And that helped strengthen the lira dramatically and thus dollar-denominated bonds. So uh, the lesson I take here is that politicians, they can shift and do things that are, are somewhat unexpected even if, even if uh, I guess, things are going somewhat their way. He got reelected, right? Or do you think that's more of, uh, do you do maybe election fraud? I'm not sure. <laughs> Could be. But, you know, I think this is an interesting story just because I think what most people hear being screamed at at them on the Internet is of countries that are trying to make their entire economy based off Bitcoin and countries that are, you know, politicians are advocating getting rid of central banks. So it's kind of refreshing, if you ask me, and the market believes so as well, that Erdogan, uh, especially Erdogan, would go more the conventional route uh, in dealing with uh, his economic situation. And, and certainly that, that did well for, for Turkish bonds. Yeah, and he raised interest rates dramatically, which is slow inflation. Uh, that certainly helped strengthen the, the lira. They rebuilt their foreign currency reserves. So all those things are typically good for that particular currency, and that's why the lira rallied so much. Now, the big story that we've been talking about for a while is uranium. Uranium, uranium had a big run, started the year around $50 per pound. Now we're at $90 per pound, obviously driven by a shutdown of supply coming out of Ukraine. You also had a coup in Niger, uh, which is five, they have 5% of the world's reserves of uranium. And then governments just around the world reopening nuclear plants, and planning to build more. In fact, we just built our first nuclear plant since, what was it 2014? I think first, uh, last time we opened a nuclear plant here in the United States and so many other countries around the world are realizing can't get to net zero by wind and solar alone, especially because in a lot of places it doesn't, it isn't very sunny often, as well as the wind doesn't blow very strong, like in uh, other parts of the, the world where it can be uh, advantageous or can be uh, economical. So I thought that was the biggest trend. We were on top of that early on. uh, And I think this will continue into next year. What are your thoughts? Yeah. You know, I think that this is, this is another important story because this isn't just about global security. This isn't just about the first open war in Europe. 
since World War II, but really it's a lesson about the pandemic as well and making sure that you have a stable supply chain of not just goods, but also also energy. So uranium is going to be a big part of that moving forward because of how, how clean it is. And, you know, I, I agree with you. I'm of the opinion that there isn't one solution. It has to be a mixture of all solutions and certainly nuclear energy is going to be in that mix. Yeah, and energy is certainly underrated, I think, by most people. Just go back 150 years. You know, I'm watching uh, right now, it's a great show, um, the, uh, the Gilded Age on HBO. And it's really interesting to see that time, you know, all of those, it really follows the, the they weren't billionaires, but, you know, inflation adjusted, they were certainly billionaires of that time. And you have to realize that they were harnessing their businesses from railroads to industry were harnessing energy in a new way, right? Think of coal mainly. That was mainly the, the source of energy back then. Um, but as, as, as we've been able to harness energy more effectively, more efficiently, that is what has improved our lives globally for the, the past 150 plus years. And it is, is if we can continue to make that energy cheaper, cleaner, uh, more efficient, generally lives are going to get better. And so I think nuclear is a, is a key to, to that. Um, some other big moves this year, Solana after the FTX debacle was down to $13 in early 2023. And now it's at $87. So in the crypto space, that was linked to FTX. So pretty shocking to see despite the fall, the, the fall of um, of Sam Bakeman Freed, that is rallying so dramatically. It just shows you kind of the, the fervor that's come back within the crypto space. And then cacao prices, because of heavy rains in uh, Western Africa, uh, where a lot of cacao is, is uh, produced, that has created um, uh, disease within uh, um, those farms uh, spreading. And that's been very positive for uh, cacao prices. Odds are, are low that that will continue, I think, for the longer term, however. Now let's keep things moving and swim back to the Vestok Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier on 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen, Justin, and, and Luke. This is Kevin calling from La Crescenta. I have a question about two stocks that I own. Uh, they're very different industries, and but the tickers are MOD, that's Modine Manufacturing, and TEX, Terex. I'm up each of them about 25 to 30%, and I need to do some tax gain harvesting. Wondering which one you recommend trimming. I had target prices around $60, and they're getting right around there. Wondering what the outlook you have on both of those companies. I appreciate it, and thank you again. Happy New Year to you all. All right, looking at Modine Manufacturing and Terex, T-E-X. Ter- Terex is about a $4 billion market cap, Modine around $3 billion. So I would consider these small caps. What's what's your line between small cap and mid cap, Luke? I know it's kind of fuzzy. Um, my, my, my line is whatever the largest holding is in the Russell 2000, which is always in flex. But I, you know, typically around 4 or $5 billion. Yeah, so kind of uh, on the, the border there. But Modine, it has had a surge in profitability from – $1.58 pre-pandemic to this this year expected to make $3.05. And what they do is they manufacture thermal management systems for OEM, automotive OEMs, 
and building industrial and refrigeration products as well. Uh, so this is on a tear, a tear beginning of, or I say last summer, it was trading around $8 per share. Now it's at $59.70. Relative strength, 98. So it's been one of the best performers over the past year in the entire market. Terex, been around a lot longer. And it's also on an uptrend, but relative strength 64. So above average, but not amazing. And it's not an all-time high. So from a technical perspective, Terex is, is definitely much weaker. And I don't like the history of their business being so up and down. So I don't know. For me, if I'm trimming one, it would probably be Terex. What are your thoughts? Well, I just want to say, first and foremost, why limit yourself to just trim one of them? Yeah. But I, I do agree with you. I think people tend to hang on to their losers too long and uh, you know cut their winners too early. So I'd probably given how it's a little bit weaker, would, uh, would trim Terex as well. Yeah, and Modine has a solid balance sheet. Let me take a look at Terex as well. Solid historically, balance sheet. Solid, yeah, a little bit more debt, I would say, but not, neither of them have, have, have any issues, good free cash flow. You know, I, don't, I wouldn't be in a hurry to, to frankly, trim either one. I think both are, are fine. Uh, Terex has moved up, consolidating the technicals are fine. But, you know, just based on the kind of up and down nature of Terex's business versus Modine's, uh, I, I, I would trim Terex, but I'm not in a hurry to trim either. And you want to do tax gain harvesting. And unfortunately, we got to this uh, question maybe say. a little too, too late. So got a long time uh, to think about it now. Exactly. Got a whole year to potentially tax gain harvest. Well... It is Friday, and we generally make time to fit in a quick rundown of some key benchmarks. The two-year Treasury yield was at four and a quarter percent. That is down from four point three four percent a week ago. So continued pricing in of uh, more dovish Fed as we go into next year. The ten-year three point eight six, also down slightly from last week at three point nine one. Gold up from to two thousand sixty-six dollars per ounce from last week at 2054 and up from 77 weeks ago when it was at 1809 silver today was at 2384 up or sorry down a bit from last week 2427 at the close last week so those are some major benchmarks and oil oil was down as well 71 dollars and 47 cents per barrel down from 7375 a week ago gasoline about same as last week, flat, $3.12 national average. Here in California, was up a bit to $4.67 per gallon from four fifty-seven last week. So still the highest in the nation. North Dakota, today, average gas, gas gasoline was averaging $2.86 per gallon, $1.81 less than here in California. Let's take a trip to North Dakota and bring some gas back. There's an arbitrage opportunity. I don't know how much gas we'd have to fill up. We have to do some quick math on that, um, but certainly a possibility. I did just get a plug-in EV, so maybe my uh, or plug-in hybrid, excuse me. So maybe my uh, my plug-in hybrid will, will help us get it there. But I don't think they have. A, there's a gas tank larger than about 15 gallons on it, so I don't think that'll work. But um, but yeah. So that was the market for this week. Now after the break, we're going to touch a bit on equities. And looking back historically, what has driven returns and what you should expect going forward as we go into the new year. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein with Luke Carrera, and we have one goal each and every weekday. That's to help you 
achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do that right now at 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Adrian calling from Texas, and I had a question regarding your thoughts on a long-term hold on ticker symbol CFA, Victory Shares US 500 Volatility ETF. Thank you so much for your time. All right, looking at Victor Shares US 500 volatility weighted ETF. So I'm not sure exactly how this is calculated, but based on the top holdings, it looks to me that this is uh, more of an equally weighted fund because the top holding is only 0.39% of the portfolio, but they look to be all kind of the lower of, of lower volatility kinds. So Coke. McDonald's, Walmart, Jones Dynamics, Encore, I'm not sure what that one is, Pepsi, Kraft, Waste Management, Republic Services, and Colgate Pall Mall. Those are the top 10 holdings. So uh, this looks to be kind of a, a similar proxy to a low volatility ETF. And historically, those don't do very, very good. And this has two stars by Morningstar. So I, I see no reason to by this particular name. This year, it's only up 11.8%, 93rd percentile. Let me look longer term. Yeah, if you look at it, it's only been around five years, and it's in the 83rd percentile. I mean, 83% of funds within this particular, within this particular uh, category have outperformed. So yeah, 100% pass on this one. Now, lastly, Luke, let's talk a little bit about forward-looking equity returns. And if you take in a dollar back in 19, what is this, 1946, and you invested in equities, U.S. equities, inflation adjusted, you have $208. You got $1 all the way to $208. That's pretty strong. Now, there are a couple of factors for that. Now, the first is obviously growth of earnings. And long-term earnings growth is about 3% per year. That doesn't sound like a lot, does it? Well, but, when you consider how many down years there are, that's pretty significant. Yeah. And it just shows you how important that is to uh, kind of like the forward-looking uh, returns, nominal returns for, and, and that's that's in real terms. So 3% real term, real growth and in inflation. Um, and so this is a good example of how when I say, Modest inflation, 3 4 5% is actually good for equities. It's when you get super high runaway inflation. That's where it becomes a problem. But if you kind of have persistent inflation, that increases prices across the economy and thus nominal growth in, in, in profits. Um, but there are other factors that play into total equity returns. And the biggest factor besides earnings growth is actually dividends. So, yes, it, it's, it's about paying out uh, those earnings to shareholders. And over time, companies have actually only retained about 50% of their earnings. The rest they've either paid out in dividends or stock buybacks. And then the other factor that allows for the growth in um, 
growth, the return uh, of equities is multiple expansion. So back in 1946, Robert Schiller calculated the P ratio back then. It was at 15 times. Now, based on trailing earnings, it's 24 times. I think forward-looking, we're kind of around 20. Um, so that's a big factor uh, as well. So, Luke, it's very important for investors to have some perspective on forward-looking equity returns. And they still remain real return, probably 6 7%, which is much better than you're going to get on bonds and cash. Yeah, I think, I think an important takeaway, too, is that this isn't really saying that high dividend earners should be having higher expected growth or should be having, uh, or rather high dividend payers shouldn't be having higher than average expected returns. What this is essentially saying is we've moved to an era where companies don't necessarily retain all the earnings that they have and investors discount cash to them in dividends or in share buybacks at a lower rate than they do uh, future profits. And that's because it's money today versus growing the business for money later. And I think they underestimate stock buybacks. You know, that's a, a lot of, if you look at the current dividend yield of the S&P, it's about 1.4%, which longer term, it's closer to 3% on average. But that's because back you know, decades ago, stock buybacks weren't really a thing up until really the 90s. That's when, uh, based on tax laws, et cetera, it, it just made more sense for uh, companies to spend on, on stock buybacks and, and, and low borrowing costs as well. So. That's a big factor that's driving growth of earnings per share because the share values or number of shares continue to drop due to stock buybacks. Well, that about does it. That is Invest Talk for 2023. No more shows. We did it, Luke. Appreciate you all tuning in. Luke and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. 2023 is over, but we will play a best of compilation show on Monday, and then we'll return to a live show on January 2nd. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. See you next year. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, It's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights.